Well, let me uh, welcome you all here, especially if this is your um, first time with us. Welcome to all of you watching online. If uh, you have a Bible, you can open it up to Job chapter 42 and turn there. And, uh, you know, I, I, somebody put a, a little card up here, okay? And uh, don't know who it is. Maybe they put their name on it, maybe they didn't, didn't. But let me just say this. This past week, uh, I'm gonna speak for all of the pastors and the staff right now. But this past week, for whatever reason, I got a lot of little cards and thank you notes and little private message notes and little things. And most times, you know, people don't necessarily say who it is. But I just want you to know that matters. Um, being in ministry can be discouraging at times. And anytime Lonnie or I or any of the staff, I don't care who they are, get little, little cards like this or whatever. Now, it could be I have to come up here next weekend and go, well, remember that card I told you about? Wasn't that encouraging? But um, <laughs> you never know. But I, I, you know, I got the sense that this one, uh, this one is. But anyway, thank you when you do that because it, it, it matters a, a, a lot to all of us. Uh, just knowing you're praying, little notes of encouragement, it, it, it really does um, uh, matter. So, so here's the deal. We have been in a series here where we've been going through the book of Job together as a family. And I, I can tell you, and, and I probably say this at the end of most of the series that we do or books that we go through here. So you're probably going to go, why are you saying all the time? Um, like, like, this is like my favorite book that I've been through. And, and I've, never, I've never taught through the book of Job like, like this. You know, Pastor and Lonnie kind of team taught this thing. And he, has, he hadn't either. So you put all of our years of ministry together, which is quite a few. And for whatever reason, we had never taught through the book of Job. Obviously, we've read the book of Job and, you know, and maybe referred to the book of Job in a, in a message or something. But this has really been something that's been good for me personally, and it's been really good for Lonnie personally. When, when we, as your pastors, get up here and teach, uh, the Word of God's doing something in our lives too. Uh, it, it's making an impact on, on us. And one of the things uh, we both were excited about was the fact that many of you were in home groups and you were studying the book of Job on your own. I've gotten lots of emails from some of you saying that you were just doing your own personal study. Uh, some of you told me about a, a commentary that you bought. And I'll, I'll tell you, that, that just makes us happy to know that you were uh, doing that. But uh, I want to get us all on the same page, and I, I'm going to do something a little bit different here in a moment. I'm going to show you a neat little video that I think is, will really help you. But when you look at the book of Job, it opens up in Job chapter 1 with Job. And we find out about Job, and it basically tells us two major things, and that is, one, he was a really wealthy guy, and he was a really, he was a really godly man. He, he loved Jesus a lot. And that's the first thing that, that, that we learn about Job is his wealth and, and, and godliness. Number two, we, we learn that God and Satan have a discussion over why uh, Job, you know, loved God so much and worshiped God so much. And basically Satan says to God, hey, let me tell you why he loves you. Let me tell you why he worships you. It's because you put a, a force field around his life. You've blessed his life. Look, he's a wealthy man. He's got a great family, great kids, and all that kind of stuff. And, but you take that away from him and guarantee it, he'll curse you to your face. And, and so we, we learn that for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, he tells Job, Job, go ahead. I'll let you take away all of his wealth. I'll let you take away his family. I'll let you take away his health. You have to spare his life but, but go ahead, Job, have Adam. And so we learn that, man, literally in one day, Job loses all of his wealth, and he loses all of his children. And he had 10 kids, and one day they all died. Soon after, Job attacks his health. And he's got boils and sores all over him, and, and it's just, 
it was, it's a really crummy picture of, of a man who at one moment was, you know, on top of the world, if you, if you will, and now he's out in the, you know, alley living in a bunch of trash, if you will, and he's scraping his sores with boils. Nobody wants to be around him anymore. It's a, it's a really a, a tragic scene. But we also learn that through it all, Job never rejects God. He continues to, to worship uh, the, the Lord. Then we learned about, in the, about Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And in the midst of all of Job's pain and sorrow and suffering, these three guys show up who are buddies of Job. And basically, they make Job feel worse because they tell Job, Job, let me tell you why you're suffering. You're suffering because of some sin in your life. There's got to be something that you haven't confessed to God because there's no way you could lose everything you have, lose all your family, have all those sores all over you, be in the condition you're in unless there was some uh, sin in, in your life. We also learned that through all of this, Job just gets really depressed and he's in a really dark place and, and then he begins to blame God. He, he begins to, you know, say some things to God that weren't appropriate and certainly weren't said in a way that was appropriate, if you will. Then we learned about another friend of Job named Elihu, who, um, in fact, Lonnie preached on this, and I just thought he did a great job. Apparently, this Elihu guy is there. He's probably the youngest of his of all these friends that have come, and and, and Elihu's been listening to these three guys tell Job that he's a sinner and, and he needs to repent. And this Elihu guy's been listening to Job now start to blame God. And finally, Elihu speaks up and says, hold on a second, you know, get a grip here. And he begins to speak up for God, if, if, if you will. And then we learned last week that God finally speaks up and and he asked Job a number of questions. Finally, God, after you know, 37 chapters, says, okay, Job, I, 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 you've been making some comments to me, and now, now I'm, gonna, I'm speaking up now. And last week, we learned about all these questions that God uh, asked Job, which then leads Job to repent of his sin. And that's where we left off last week, okay? Now I want you to watch the Jumbotrons because we got a video that kind of puts it all together in a fun way, I think, but you'll really get the story, so, so, so check this out. There are three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. The first, Proverbs, showed us that God is wise and just. Yeah, we learned that God has ordered the world so that it's fair. The righteous are rewarded, the wicked are punished. In other words, you get what you deserve. But then we meet Ecclesiastes who observes, well, people don't always get what they deserve. Uh, yeah, he said the world isn't always fair, that life is unpredictable and hard to comprehend, just like smoke. And this makes you wonder, okay, well, is God wise and just? Exactly. And so it's that question that is being explored in the final book of wisdom, Job. All right, let's dive in. So Job begins with a strange story that takes place up in the heavens, which are described something like a heavenly command center. So God is there with these angelic creatures called the sons of God, and they're all there reporting for duty. And God points out this guy Job, his servant, showing how righteous and good he is. And then one of these angelic creatures approaches. He's referred to in Hebrew as the Satan. The Satan, who is this? Well, this word is actually a title, which literally means the one who is opposed. So out of this whole crew, he is the one questioning how God is running the world. And he proposes that Job might not actually love God, that he's only a good person because God rewards him. If God were to take away all of the good things he gave to Job, then we would see his true colors. So he thinks Job is just working the system? That's exactly right. Maybe he's obeying just to get what he wants. So God agrees to this experiment and allows the Satan to inflict suffering on Job. And Job loses everyone and everything that he cares about. It is devastating. And remember, he deserves none of this. God himself said so. 
The remarkable thing is that in the midst of all this suffering, Job still praises God, at least for chapters one and two. But then in chapter three, we find out how he's really feeling inside. He unleashes this poem that reveals his devastation. It's a long, elaborate curse on the day that he was born. After this, some of Job's friends come to visit him to offer their help. And all of them are like, Job, you must have done something horribly wrong to deserve this. After all, we know God is just, and we know the world is ordered by God's justice and fairness, so you must be getting what you deserve. And for the next 34 chapters, the friends and Job go back and forth in very dense Hebrew poetry. His friends keep speculating about why God might have sent such suffering, and they even start making up lists of hypothetical sins that Job must have committed. But after each accusation, Job defends his innocence. And Job is innocent. He is. He's also on an emotional roller coaster. At some moments, he's very confident that God is still wise and just. Yeah, in other moments, he's doubting God's goodness. He even comes to accuse God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person. And God does so. He comes in the form of a great storm cloud. Now, God doesn't give Job a direct answer. He doesn't tell Job about the conversation with the Satan. Yeah, he does something very different. He takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He shows Job how grand the world is, and he asks him if he's even capable of running it or understanding it just for a day. He shows Job how much detail there is in the world, things that we might see every day but really don't understand at all. But God does. He knows it all intimately. He pays attention to the beauty and operations of the universe in ways that we haven't even imagined and in places that we will never see. Then to conclude, God shows Job two wondrous beasts and brags about how great they are. Yeah, they are dangerous. I mean, they would kill you without even thinking about it. And God says they're not evil. They're actually a part of his good world. And then that's it. That's God's whole defense. It's kind of weird. I mean, what was this all about? It seems to be this. From Job's point of view, it looks like God is not just. But God's perspective is infinitely bigger. He's dynamically interacting with a whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And this is what God calls his wisdom. So Job asking God to defend himself is actually kind of absurd. He couldn't comprehend this kind of complexity even if he wanted to. So... Where does this leave us? Well, it leaves Job in a place of humility. He never learned why he suffered. And yet, he's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. But that's not where the book ends. Because after this, God restores to Job double everything he had lost. And this, again, is surprising. I mean, is this a reward? Is God saying, congratulations, Job, you passed this elaborate test? No. I mean, the whole book just made the point that Job losing everything was not a punishment. And so now getting it back isn't a reward. So why does he get it back? Well, apparently God, in his wisdom, decided to give Job a gift. We don't know why. But what we do know is that Job is now the kind of person who, no matter what comes, good or bad, he can trust God's wisdom. And that's the book of Job and the end of our wisdom series. These biblical books of wisdom are amazing. Each one offers a unique perspective on the good life, and you need to hear all of them together as you learn to live with wisdom and in the fear of the Lord. Wasn't that good? Wasn't that just a unique way of kind of putting the whole book together? I, uh, I want us to, to look at the very last few verses together, and then I'm going to make a, a comment about something is, that isn't mentioned up there, because it's somewhat secondary, but I think it'll be a great way to end our time and maybe even launch us into a new season, uh, maybe even a new year, so to speak. I know it's a ways off, but we're in November, and I think this will be a great way to maybe gear up to make next year even better. So look at, look at Job chapter 42, and then look at verse 7, okay? 
It says, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, so remember, uh, God is asking Job all of these questions that obviously Job can't answer, that basically none of us could answer. He was just helping Job understand just how grand he, he was. He said to Eliphaz, God, God says this, God says to Eliphaz, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and you will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, praise the Lord, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Okay, look at verse nine. So Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all of his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them uh, brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep. We learned in the chapter one, he, he had 7,000 sheep and he loses them in a day. Now he's got 14,000. He's got, he's got 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen. That, that would be like, 1,000 teams of oxen would be like having 1,000 big caterpillar tractors. Really, I mean, that's what the oxen did, is they, you know, they tear up the lawn or the, the field or whatever. I mean, this guy, this guy had some juice. This guy had some, 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 some wealth. He also had 1,000 female donkeys. His name, uh, he also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. And it's often said, well, wait a minute. You know, in the first chapter, we learned that he, he had 10 you know, children, and now God said, well, he doubled everything. How come he didn't give him 20 kids? Because he didn't need to. Because he knew he was gonna see the 10 when he got to heaven. Those 10 had never died and were gone. Yeah, they stopped breathing on this side of, you know, glory. But Job was gonna see those 10 children again. And so he, he actually did get, you know, 20 children, if you, if you will. Um, Look at verse 15. In all the land, no women were as lovely as his daughters, the daughters of Job, and their father put them in his will along with their brothers. And by the way, I was gonna talk about that, how unique that was in that culture, that dad would put women or his daughters in the will, because that just wasn't done back then. But, but, but I'm not, you can do your own research. But verse 16, look at verse 16. So Job lived 140 years after that, uh, living to see four generations of his children, grandchildren. Then he died, an old man, and had lived a long, full life. And that's how the story ends. Now, here's what I want to zero in on, okay? I'm just going to take the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes and zero in on one thing. And I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, I, I think it's, it, it just caught my attention. Uh, never really, in all the times that I've read through Job, I never really picked up on it. I never really thought about it. I ran into Lonnie's office on Monday or Tuesday or whatever it was and said, hey, here's how I'm gonna end this thing. And, and th for whatever reason, this really kind of caught my, my fancy, if you will. And I just thought it was really interesting and I'm gonna end, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with this, okay? I want everybody to look at verse seven again. Okay, of Job 42. It says, after the Lord had finished speaking to, to Job, and this was included Job's, you know, repentance and all that, he said to this guy named Eliphaz, and, 
And he, he, he was talking to all three of the, the, the first three friends. Okay. He says, I'm angry with you and your two friends. Why was God angry? This guy, this guy got all wrinkled up here. For you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. Now I want you to know, I, I, I kind of froze in my, my, my footsteps, if you will, when I read that. I mean, out of all the things that God could have said, all the things that God could have, I don't know, weighed in on, he says this. God was listening to everything that Job's three friends were saying. He heard it all. Now, he didn't respond right away, but he, but he heard everything that these three guys were saying. And by the way, I want you to know, nothing's changed today. God hears all the things that you say. He hears it all. Now, like our story, he may not respond right away. He doesn't respond to these three guys right away, but God hears it. So when you have conversations with your buddies, God hears it. When you have conversations with your children, God hears it. When you have conversations with your spouse, God hears it. God hears it all. Sometimes he, he chooses to speak up quickly. Sometimes he may not. But he's hearing it all. He heard everything that these three guys were talking about. Now the weighty thing here is that God was, was angry with these three guys because when they spoke about God, they weren't accurate. They were saying things that, that weren't true about God. Now, their, their motives might have been pure. I don't think they were doing it because they were necessarily evil guys, but it didn't matter to God. You were speaking for me, and you weren't accurate. And it made him angry. And I can just tell you, that um, I thought a lot about that. And I spent a lot of time praying, man, because every week or, you know, a lot of times I'm standing up here, Lonnie's standing up here, others are standing up here, and guess what we're doing? We're talking about God. He's listening. And I, I pray often when I'm not here, uh, I'll Call Lonnie, text Lonnie, I'll text Joel down in series, call Joel and just say, hey, it's Saturday night, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. I may not be there, but I understand the weightiness of this moment. I understand the weightiness of standing up, up here at this, at this pulpit. Now, now here, here's the deal. I, I want to unpack this for you. So now I want you to take your Bibles real quick and turn to the New Testament book of, of James, Okay. The half-brother of Jesus writes something really interesting that, that I'm going to land the plane with. I'm going to make a few remarks about the importance of when you talk about God, you, you better be accurate. He, he doesn't like it when you start talking for him and you're saying something that isn't accurate. He doesn't like that. And so in James chapter 1, look at verse 19. James is writing, but remember, the Holy Spirit has filled James. So yes, it's James. It's his personality and all of that. But, but this, is, this is the Lord speaking to us here. Speaking through his servant here. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness of God or the righteousness God desires. Now, I'm going to make three comments about this real quick. Okay? And the first one is this. You need to be quick to listen to the word of God. 
He says, understand this, brothers and sisters. He's talking to us. You all must be quick to listen. And, and, and friends, listen. James isn't talking about being quick to listen to your spouse or listen to your friends or listen to your children or listen to your pastor. There's some application there, there's no doubt. But in its context, James is talking about the word of God. Be quick to listen to the word of God or the voice of God. Think about it. If you're going through some difficult time in your life, what do you need? You need to hear from God, right? Which means you need to be quick to listen for his voice. If you're, if you're trying to overcome some sin in your life or some temptation in your life, what do you need? You, you need to hear from God, right? Which means you need to be very quick to listen for the voice of God. If you're looking for some wisdom about how to raise your children or how to handle your money or what, you know, what type of person you should marry or whatever, what do you need? You need to hear from God. You need God's wisdom, which means you need to be quick to listen for the voice of God. Now, here's the interesting thing uh, about the world we live in. Today, there are Bibles everywhere, right? You can find them in grocery stores, bookstores, motel rooms. They're, they're literally everywhere, Bibles. They come in all shapes, sizes, translations, versions. You can get leather bound. You know, we got, you know, rich Corinthian leather out in the, you know, the, the, the nook. You can get pleather. I mean, paperback. It's unbelievable. Every year, the Bible outsells every other major bestseller. Last year alone, they, they, they tried to figure it out, and it's, sometimes it's hard to get the right numbers, but over 500 million Bibles were, were published in the world in at least 18,000 different languages. Think that through. In America, we're, we're glutted with the word of God on the airways, right? On the radio, TV, podcasts, books, magazines, websites, literally everywhere. You can't go anywhere and not have, you know, the, the Bible being preached or talked about or whatever. Yet millions of, of, of people who claim to know the Lord rarely even open it. In other words, they're not quick to listen. And that might be some of you. You probably have five or six Bibles in your home. You got seven or eight on your smartphone. And for some of you, bless your souls, you're my brother in the Lord, you're my sister in the Lord, and you know what, frankly, you, you haven't listened to the voice of God in a week, right? You were here last Saturday, maybe it's been two Saturdays, and you, you haven't read your Bible, you haven't been quick to listen. Oh, you've listened to a lot of other things, I know. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter four, it's pretty famous, little quote of his, he says, hey look, man, woman, we as human beings, we don't live on bread alone. In other words, we, we gotta have some bread. These physical bodies of ours need caloric intake. You could read your Bible all day long and you don't eat food in about a month, you're dead. You gotta eat, gotta have bread. But all bread does is give the flesh the, the calories it needs to work, to function. I coach our baseball team, our varsity baseball team here, and I'm funny, uh, some of our players are in here. I'll, I'll tell them things like, hey look, I want you to eat at this time. 
Because if you eat at this time, by the time the game starts, all that food that was in your gut, instead of all the blood rushing to your gut to try to digest it, I don't need the blood all going to your gut to try to digest your food. What I need is, is for all that blood to go to your gut, digest the food, and then get to the place where it needs to be. And so you, I need you to eat about three hours or so before the game starts. I don't need, need you eating a big cheeseburger 10 minutes before the game starts. Now your gut's full of you know, cheeseburgers. And by the way, they never listen to me. <laughs> All these high school kids are showing up with pizzas. <laughs> you know, we got a game in two minutes. I know, and they're grabbing tacos and burritos. It's like, they don't listen. But their bodies need fuel. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Look, man doesn't live on bread alone, but we live because we have the Spirit of God in us. The Spirit of God in us doesn't care about a pizza or caloric intake. The spirit that lives in us, this is its juice. This is where it gets its energy. This is, this is the pizza or the cheeseburger, if you will, or whatever it is, steak, or whatever it is you want to say to, to our spirits. This is what we need. Men don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalms chapter 19 says this, the teachings of the Lord are perfect. They're perfect. They're absolutely perfect. This is the, you know, perfect word of God. The, no errors in this. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It's hard. A lot of hard stuff in it. Today in the membership class, uh, Jason was there. I, I was talking about the fact that, man, there's a lot written in here that I don't like. It's perfect, but I don't like it. I don't like the fact but the one that I follow says, hey, I want you to pray for your enemies. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? It's perfect. He doesn't say the word of the Lord is easy. It's not. A lot, a lot of things in here are hard. But the teachings of the Lord are perfect. They give new strength. The rules of the Lord can be trusted. They, they make plain people wise. The orders of the Lord are right. They make people happy. The commands of the Lord are pure. They light up the way. Here's the deal. The Bible gives us strength. It makes us wise. It makes us happy. It lights our path. And we need to be quick to listen to it. All of us. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus comes to the house of a couple of sisters named Martha and Mary, and it says this in verse 38. Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here listening to you while all I do is work? Would you please tell her to come and help me? I'm sure Martha thought Jesus would look down and say, Mary, look, all you're doing is sitting there listening to me, the Messiah, the Savior. That's all you're doing. Now get your you know, lazy self up and get in there and make iced tea. Get in there and get their pot roast going. Get in there and, 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 and you know, mop the floor. Quit sitting here at my feet listening to me. She really thought that Jesus was gonna, you know, back her. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and you're upset about all the details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it won't be taken away from her. And what was she doing? She was just being quick to listen. Hey, I just want to sit here. I don't know what you're going to say. Don't know. But I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be grabbing, you know, iced tea and, and putting ice in the thing and miss something you might say. Don't want to do that. Jesus said, she, she's chose the better thing. Not that what Mary, Martha was doing was evil or wicked or whatever. I, I tend to be more like Martha, I think, in my everyday life. 
always busy doing something, you know, for the Lord, you know, vacuuming. And I think more times than not, God says, man, would you just sit down, man? Be quick to listen. There's this great moment in the Bible where Jesus uh, takes uh, three of his guys up onto this mountain. We think it was Mount Hermon, but it says this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. It says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which, he was, uh, which was about to bring the fulfillment to, at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were, were, were very sleepy, but, when they became, but then when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and they saw these two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving, uh, uh, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, man, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. I mean, imagine this. <laughs> Peter... Uh, there's Jesus, the Messiah. And he says, hey, Jesus, you know, let's just put three altars up for the other two guys. You know, the other one's one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Like somehow Moses and Elijah were on some sort of equal plane with Jesus. Like, hey, man, hey, listen, woo! I just saw something incredible. I I'm gonna put three altars up for you guys. No, that's not how that works. There's, 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 if you're gonna put an altar up, you're gonna put one up, and that one's gonna be for me. Now, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped him, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And here's the voice. The voice now is gonna come from, from, from the cloud. It's God. God's gonna speak. Peter, James, and John are now going to hear the voice of the Lord. Wonder what God's going to say to these guys. Hey, guys, that's my son. That guy's my son. I want you to listen. To him. Think about all the things God could have said at that moment. I want you to worship him. I want you to love him. I want you to go talk about him. I, I want you to share, you know, your faith about him with your neighbors. <laughs> he could have said a lot of things, but God says, hey, guys, look, I want you to understand who you're with. That's my son, and here's the bottom line. Listen to him. Now, obviously, we don't hear the audible voice of Jesus today. We got something better. We got this. And I guess my question is, before I move on to number two, is how eager are you to you know, read or get into the Bible? So how eager are you to listen to Jesus? How eager are you? I mean, just think about your own life right now. How eager are you to get into a, a, a growth group with some people and, you know, some of you, you know what, man, you had a great time going through Job in your small group, your growth group. Some of you never bothered and you missed out on something. I'm just telling you, you missed out. What a great time of listening to, 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 to Jesus. How, how eager are you for church to start? How eager are you? Man, I gotta get to church, man. I gotta get ready. I gotta get down there, man. I wanna hear, I wanna hear from the Lord tonight through his, the preaching of his word. How eager are you to, I don't know, read a book that better explains the, 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 the scriptures? We've got this book that we're selling tonight and we ought to, every one of you ought to buy one of these. And it's uh, called Unwrapping the Names of Jesus. It's a, it's a devotional 
an Advent devotional that we're, we've got enough books. I don't know what we're selling them for, 10, 12 bucks. We're just giving them away, basically. And you get one, and we as a church family will all be going through the same passages this Christmas season. That's what this is. And you can go out to the nook afterwards. And here's the deal. Here's what I know about you. There'll be a bunch of you that will, but there'll be some of you, nah. Man, I'm like, uh, you, you, 10 bucks, man, 12 bucks. You won't even invest 10 or 12 bucks in your spiritual life. But you'll invest all kinds of money in your physical life, clothes, going to health clubs, going to gyms, eating out, dinner. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I do that. I invest in my physical life. But man, 12 bucks. Pick one up. Take your family through this. This could be a really, really, really uh, great tool. I think Psalms 119 really captures the heart uh, of a true believer. It says this in Psalms 119. Oh, how I love your law. And that would just be an Old Testament way of saying the scriptures. Man, I love the scriptures. Man, I, I, I love to meditate them. Meditate on them all day long. I think if you truly have the Holy Spirit living within you, that, that, that's just, now you may not be able to do it all the time. You may not be able to get in the Word. I realize life happens. You're raising your kids. You're raising your family. You're going to work. You're starting your businesses. I get all that. And sometimes life can overtake you. I get it. But that's the heart. Man, I just love the Scriptures. love getting into the Scriptures. I think this captures, this next verse may capture the heart of an unbeliever. And Psalms 119 goes on to say, salvation is far from the wicked. And then it says this, for they do not seek out your decrees. By the way, they don't seek out your word. They just don't do it. They don't care. They, you know, man, I, I know Christians, you know, they can tell you more about what Dr. Phil has to say about life. Or what Oprah has to say. Or Tony Robbins has to say. And I'm not slamming those people. Everybody's, you know, you live in America, you can say anything you want. You can have any opinions you want on anything. But if you're part of God's family, this is what ought to matter. It, it's this. And so the first thing that James says is we ought to be quick to, to, to listen. The, the second thing is this, is that you need to be slow or careful to speak about the things of God. And this kind of takes us back to, to Job. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you all must be quick to listen. Remember, in its context, it says quick to listen, but be slow to speak about it. He's not talking about being slow to speak to your spouse or your friend or your neighbor or whatever, though there's some application there. But James, it's clear, is talking about the word. You be quick to listen to this, but you be slow to talk about it. Why? Because you don't want to misrepresent him. You don't want to do what Job's three buddies did and not talk about God accurately because as we see in Job God doesn't like it when you don't talk about him accurately in fact James makes a, a really weighty statement in chapter 3 he's going to go on and he says this he says dear brothers and sisters not many of you should become teachers in the church why what's the problem with being a teacher in the church. For those who teach will be judged more strictly. <laughs> that, doesn't mean you, that doesn't mean we don't go to heaven if we blow it. That doesn't mean, you know, we lose our salvation or God, you know, leaves us. God kicks us out of his family. But there is a judgment that is more tight, weighty, on guys like Lonnie and me. That's why you don't put people up here and let them teach who are rookies. You just don't do it. Because we understand the weightiness of this moment. 
And so does God. But I want you to know something. Anytime you open your mouth, you're sitting around having coffee, you're in your small group, I don't care where you're at, and you begin to talk for God. Hey, let me just tell you something. Just better to, you know what? You've asked a great question. That's a great question. I don't have the answer to that. But I'll get it for you. Then to, well, you know, I gotta, I gotta make my friend feel like, you know, you know, I'm the theologian of Modesto. And so all of a sudden you just start talking. And it's just, it's just not true. It's just not accurate. Because God, in Job, we see, he, he doesn't like that. He gets angry when you're not accurate. Even if your motive's good. Now there's a lot of people in our city and, and on the radio and on TV who their motive is to deceive people. Their motive is to simply you know, get rich and get money out of you or whatever that is. There are charlatans on TV, they're, they're everywhere. It's amazing the, the people that are out there and what they, what they teach on you know, the television. And, and wow, man, they just have deceived a lot of people. I mean, but here's what I do know. Put that verse back up. We got that verse from James. Can you put that thing back up? Um, they may be getting away with it right now. But there's coming a moment when God's going God's to settle accounts with some of these people. Now, when you get up, up here, and I, I'm, Lonnie and I didn't talk about this, but I know I, I know I know I could speak for him. This is live television. Okay, now we got notes, uh, and we do our best to stick to our notes as best we can. But th there are times when I've gotten home, <laughs> and especially a guy like me, I, I can I tend to be off the cuff, and you know, next thing you know, I say something I don't realize what I said. And I'll get home and my wife will go, hey, do you realize what you said? And I'll go, uh, no what? And I always know it's not good. Okay, like, oh no, <laughs> what I say? And she'll go, well, you, you, you said this. And I'll go, oh, I did? I, I didn't mean to say that. Well, I know you didn't. But, but I did. And, uh, and, and, you know, even those moments, I, I don't think God likes that. Hey, Rick, be in your personality, but just be careful. You're going to go wing it. You're going to walk away from your notes, and you're going to make some statement about me. <laughs> you, 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 you know, once that bullet leaves the chamber, man, you better know what's going on. I'm not kidding. I think about that. And I can guarantee every preacher that's ever stood up, we've, we've blown it. We've made mistakes. Our motives were pure, our motives are right. We didn't mean to make the mistake, maybe. There have been many things that I've studied that I used to teach when I was younger. I thought something, I believed something, and as I grew and matured, and as I began to look at that issue, I went, you know what, I, I don't know if I believe that. I, I think this may be what, and, and there are secondary issues. We're not talking about you know, the person and the work of Christ here. But that's the beautiful thing about teaching the, 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 the Word of God. I'm asked often, do you get nervous when you get up here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't get nervous to do an announcement. I got over that a long time ago. I literally, I don't get nervous. Hey, you know, here's what's going on, blah, 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 whatever. I don't know. <laughs> this moment, I was back there. Whew. You kind of lose your breath for a moment. There's no moment anywhere on the planet like the moment when the word of God is unpacked. Nothing like it. Uh, P, uh, Timothy, uh, Paul wrote this to Timothy. He said, hey, Timothy, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Because if you keep a close watch on those two things, no one will ever be able to call you a hypocrite and no one will ever be able to call you a heretic. Just watch how you live. Make sure it's in accordance with the scriptures and watch what you teach. Just, just, just 
Just be careful. He went on to say this in chapter two, work hard as, as you present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. And that's all, that, that should be all of our hearts. And, and part of how you get there is you're quick to listen, study, and then you're slow to speak because you want to be accurate. And then the third thing is, is this, is you need to be aware of the conflict between your flesh and God's spirit that lives within you. Look at verse 19 again of James. He says, understand this, dear brothers and sisters, be, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then he says, and slow to get angry. What does that mean? Here's the deal. When you're quick to listen to the word of God, your flesh is gonna get angry. Your flesh doesn't like what's written in here. Your flesh is diametrically opposed to anything that's of, the, of, of God. And so he says, hey, you gotta be careful. Don't get angry at what you read. Don't get upset. I don't like that. Man, I, I, you know what, I, I'm not gonna believe that. If I live that out in my life, then I'm not gonna be invited to all the cool parties anymore, you know? No, no way. You, look, you read the word and your flesh is gonna get rankled up. There's gonna be things you don't like that you read. You'll get angry. I can prove it. I'll prove it right now. Hey, the church service is going along fine. Dee, 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 kumbaya. We're all singing. We're all having a great time. This is all good. I love being here. I love the music. Man, look at that cool cross. This is great. I really love it. Okay, we're going to give an offering. What? Oh, <laughs> church wants just my money. Oh, I hate this moment. It's like 30 seconds in the whole service. 30. Your flesh hates that moment. Oh, you're, you're, hey, your spirit loves it. Oh, I love these songs. Lord, I love you. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the word's good. Oh, I love the word. It's amazing how many people get up and go to the bathroom right when we're doing the offering. In fact, in fact, I had a, I'm going to put some ushers in the, in the latrines. <laughs> Open the door. Excuse me. Here you go. Because no one's going, they're, they're just standing there waiting for the thing to end, and then they come out. It's weird how that always works, you know? It's good. <laughs> be, be really quick to find yourself in the Word of God. Be really slow to talk about it. And then be careful. Because you're going to want to get angry. Because God calls us to a life that's different than the world's living. The world is just going downstream. And God says, my people are going to go upstream. Oh, it's going to be hard. You're going to burn a lot of juice trying to get up that river. There's going to be places where you're going to jump and you're going to jump and you're going to jump. And there's going to be all kinds of dangers out there, bears and, you know, trying to grab you. And it's not going to be easy. But that's the life that God's called his followers to, a hard life at times. So be very, very careful to not get angry. So, 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 so here's the deal. Look back at verse 7. He says, and the Lord uh, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, I'm angry with you and your two friends for you have not spoken accurately about me. And I guess, you know, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do to make sure that you're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry? What, what are you gonna do? Is there, been waiting to get into a men's Bible study down here on Monday nights or Tuesday mornings? Been, been waiting, man, women's meeting. Yeah, I come on Saturdays, Pastor. Maybe I ought to think about coming to women's. I watch my wife literally every single morning. She's way more quick to listen than I am. 
Every single morning when I get up, she's already up, already has her Bible study out. She's already doing her Bible study. She's in the Word. It's crazy. It's just crazy to see her, and it's why she's such a beautiful woman on the inside. Forget the outside. She's a beautiful woman on the inside because of her time in God's Word. Maybe, maybe it's getting into a growth group. Maybe this is the week that you call up Lonnie's office or put it on a card and stick it in the connect box and say, okay, I go to church on Saturday night, so I'll get into a growth group. And we don't know what the next one's gonna be. I, I don't know what it is. It could be you just sit around with your Bibles and imagine that. You know, we were in Job and there were DVDs that we were watching. I don't know what it's gonna be. Maybe, maybe you just wanna wake up a little earlier and say, okay, I'm gonna get into the Word. And you don't have to go, okay, I'm, a, I'm gonna read a whole chapter. You know. Look, if you're not reading anything, get up and read one verse. That's a huge step. I'll hip hip hooray you. I'll be your greatest cheerleader if you just get up and go, okay, tomorrow, you know, I'll get up. I'm just going to read one verse. Are you good with that, Pastor? I'm good with that. If you're not reading any. And then maybe next week you go, oh, you know, I can, read, I can read five verses. I'm not asking you to go and read, you know, all of, you know, Leviticus tonight or tomorrow morning when you get up. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just challenging you to go, man, can, can you get up and read one? How about at lunch tomorrow? Before you eat lunch, you're at work, you open your sack lunch, just read a verse, one verse. Just read one. And then eat your sandwich. What, what, what good does that do? I don't know. All I know is that Jesus said, that's what we need. That's what our souls need. I, uh, I'll go home tonight and I don't know, I'll eat a sandwich. My wife has been busy all day with a baby shower and I just, you know, don't worry about me when I get home. I'll, I'll make a sandwich. <laughs> right, what good does that do? I don't know, all I know is whatever that is that I get into my system, my, my you know, flesh needs the caloric intake. It, uh, it'll do something. Just like the word, it'll do something. And don't think that when you read the word, you know, that it's, you know, the, most of the meals I eat, I'm a pretty simple guy, you know, just, you know, give me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I'm golden. I'm serious. I don't, I'm, I'll eat anything. I'm simple. I don't need a lot because all I do is, is I eat to live. That's it. Some people live to eat. I just eat because I have to live. Okay. Now, there are some restaurants you go to and you sit down, you know, and the steak's about that big and you get one little carrot thing that's turned and a thing and a whatever and it costs you a hundred bucks and you go, wow, look at and you, and you cut the little piece of meat and you get one scallop and you go, wow, that was unbelievable. That scallop, that hundred dollar scallop, woo, that was unbelievable. That was a great scallop. I don't know what that sauce was that they made a little design out of, a squiggly. Wow! You know, I, that was incredible! That happens every now and then. And by the way, that'll happen when you read the Word every now and then. You'll read something and go, whoa! That was incredible what I learned or what I saw. And you'll go, whoa! But, you know, 95% of the time it's going to be like eating a PJ sandwich. Over, you know. Sometimes I, I go crazy and have little barbecued chips with it. <laughs> that, that's when you know I've gone high class. I decided to class it up and I open up a little bag. And that's that's the word of God. Most of the time, when you read the word, it's like eating a PJ sandwich. It is what it is, but it's doing something in your spirit. We're all out there trying to go, wow, we're looking for the scallop. You may get the scallop, I don't know. I, I, like I said, maybe twice a year I get a scallop moment. Because I just, I just need the food, so I don't need a scallop. It's 
It's cool when I get one. Don't look for the scallops, just get into it. Because whatever it is you're reading, I'm telling you it'll make a difference in your life. And the more you're in it, then the more the, your chances of being accurate, okay? I'm gonna, everybody stand up, okay? I'm gonna pray, wow. So I, I blew it. So, so make sure you get out to the nook, okay? Pick up your books. Father, thanks for our time tonight. I sure enjoyed it. Thank you for Pastor Brandon leading us through communion. That was beautiful. Just the music was just so sacred. Lord, may we have a, a, a great time as we begin to get into this devotional during this Advent season. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, hey Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.